We are taking a short break from 1 Samuel to take a look at Habakkuk, and some of you might say Habakkuk. It's just the way that I learned it, Habakkuk, from my minor prophets class. And a lot of things uh, just happening in our community, stirring in our community, in our immediate neighborhood. So as the staff and uh, I get together and we pray and we talk about things happening here, this this book of the Bible was just really impressed upon me uh, to, to go through. So a couple of weeks ago is when we started, and we went through chapter 1. We started talking about the issues and the problems that we raise to God, and we, and we wonder, what, what's up with the injustice? What's up with the violence we bring to God? And it seems that nothing is being done about it. And we saw how there was a lot of injustice and violence happening in Judah. Habakkuk was wondering what God was going to do about it. And then we saw how God sometimes, he, he has these odd solutions to, to the problems that we bring to him. That sometimes some seemingly more unjust solutions are used to, to address what is already unjust. And in Habakkuk, God used the Babylonians who, who would wipe out Judah. And after hearing all this puzzling news, all this prophecy that the Lord was giving to Habakkuk, Habakkuk entered into a time of worship. Which is a lesson for us in that we are to deal with our problems in the context of worship. And to recognize that that God is God. And even though these things are puzzling and confusing and why he uses more unjust things to solve unjust things, that that's, that's how he chooses to do it. And then Habakkuk questions God about the solution because he's confused with how, how, how can you, God, use this seemingly more violent group of people, this this unjust group of people to address violence and injustice. How does that make any sense? And how can God use a more unjust group of people to address injustice? Then we ended in chapter 2, verse 1, with Habakkuk waiting at his watch post for for God's further response. So we're going to continue on with the chapter where it will address this faith that we are to live by. And last week, Dave shared his personal testimony of what's going on with him and, and uh, what happened to him. And if you didn't hear that teaching, you can pull that off, offline. But here we are, starting in verse 2 of chapter 2 of Habakkuk. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright with him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he is never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Back in college, um, I was hit with a pretty serious depression during my sophomore and and junior years, and I, I really never considered taking my life and killing myself, but I I really didn't care if I lived or I died. And I think some of you know what I mean because you've either experienced this before or this is something that you're experiencing now. And one of the the things that ministered to me back then were were these chapel services that were required of me to attend uh, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday when I was in college. And in those times of worship, sometimes there was this worship song that was based off of Psalms chapter 42, verse 5. And the words went like this. I'm not singing it. I'll recite it to you. Why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. And bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord. He's the lifter of my countenance. Bless the Lord. He's the lifter of my head. 
I will never be ashamed. And that song ministered to me so much, especially when times were, were just really bad for me. I didn't know what was going on in my head. And when I was writing this sermon or typing up this sermon, I started tearing up as I was typing because I, I just recalled what that song meant to me. And even when Elaine was kind of put, interjected that song, when I was back there, it, it still my eyes well up when I think about those times because God was ministering to me at those times through that worship song. And when times were really bad, I, I wrote those words down. I wrote them down for, for myself. And when something is important, we write it down. Or somehow keep a record of it so, so we can preserve it, so we can go back to it. And something we can go back to. And then later on I found out that Psalms chapter 42 verse 5 was, was what motivated Martin Lloyd-Jones to write his book Spiritual Depression. And it was the same psalm that ministered to me and, and his, his book ministered to me as well. And it was the same thing. So, so here, we, here we get the second answer to God, uh, of God to Habakkuk. And in verse 2, God told Habakkuk to write it down. And how it ministered and how that song ministered to me and how Martin Lloyd-Jones d- uh, wrote this beautiful book that uh, if you guys are going through some stuff, I, I recommend that you read it, um, that he wrote it down as well. And this helps us gauge the importance of what God is telling Habakkuk. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. This was to be made available as a record for people to read and and to show people the fulfillment of this vision, of this prophecy. When when you look back on on this prophecy and you look back on the tablets, that, that God was clear to reveal this vision. What was the vision? Or what is a vision? Vision here is telling us about God's specific revelation to this prophet. And God gave Habakkuk a vision to write down, and, and it was a way that God communicated to his prophets. God's revelation is pretty synonymous to vision. And what, Habakkuk's, what, was, what was Habakkuk supposed to write down? Well, essentially, verses 2 through 20. And we're not going to go through all of chapter 2 today. We're just going to go through uh, verses 2 through 5 t- tonight. Um, and we'll, we'll cover the rest next week. But, but this was the vision God had Habakkuk write down. And verses 4 and 5 are, are this intro to the rest of this vision in this chapter. And it's a preface to the vision as well as part of the vision. So we're going to spend a bit of time camping out just on these two verses. And, and in the vision, it, it instructs how the people of God are to face this onslaught of the Babylonians. And the way they are to live their lives are to live them by faith. Yeah, that sounds fine. Well, what does that mean? Because Habakkuk is concerned about this Babylonian army continuing their uh, the barbaric ways, wiping out nation after nation. And they, this vision is kind of confusing to him. This vision addresses that, but the, but the main point of this entire vision is found in verse 4. The righteous shall live by faith. And this phrase was also quoted by Paul in Romans chapter 1, Galatians chapter 3, and the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 10. This is a meaningful phrase here. This is not just a one-time thing. These are things that are pulled from the Apostle Paul and the author of Hebrews. And what is faith according to Habakkuk? Well, let's, let's first take a look at verses 2 and 3 where, where it addresses the foundation of faith. Verses 2 and 3. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. What is faith founded upon? 
What is at the base of faith? What holds your faith firm and anchors your faith? For Habakkuk, it was this vision in verses 2 through 20, which, which was a revelation from God that was to be written down. And what was the vision in verses 2 through 20? The vision is, or was, that there will be a day when the injustice and the violence of the Babylonians will be overthrown. And that there will be a day when God's kingdom is going to come down to earth. That's the vision. It's a promise. And then if you jump to verse 14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There will be a day when injustice and violence will be overthrown. And there will be a day when the kingdom of God will come on earth. See, faith is going to go on living. And believing that God has said about the future, that's an important thing. You know, violence is going to be overthrown. Injustice is going to be overthrown. And in the case of Habakkuk, it was the end of Babylon, which was a breath of fresh air for him. But they still had to endure through that stuff. So you go back to verse 4. The righteous shall live by his faith. See, so we have this, this written promise and this revelation from God. We are to live by faith. We are to receive, believe, and respond to the promises of God by faith. We are to respond to God in faith. Let's take a quick look at Genesis 15 and how Abram responded to God in faith. Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 1 through verses uh, 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abram believed the Lord in faith. What does that mean? He, he believed that, that what the Lord said about his descendants was going to be true. Uh, that the word that Abram was given by God, he, he received it, he believed it, he responded in faith. It's the same reception, uh, uh, belief, and response expected of Habakkuk back then, and it's the same for us now. The righteous are to receive this vision and hold on to it by faith. The word of God, the promises, the de declarations of God are what roots our faith. Those are the anchors of our faith. We are to have faith in the word of God, even when things look totally different around us, when our circumstances and our feelings look totally different. And, and those things are real. I'm not putting those down at all. But they're not really reliable anchors to a faith in God. Those things change all the time. We have to rely on the word of God. To anchor our faith. We must hold on to the Word of God and what God has said to us through it. To believe that the Word of God is truth. And it's not Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, but any part of the Word of God. It's a, it's a daily living by the Word of God. And, and, and whatever doubts come to your mind about God, about your life, there, there is most likely some promise in the Word of God to anchor you to your faith. So, for example, some of you that doubt your salvation in Jesus, you have faith. 
but, but you don't have the assurance of your faith when, when you die and that you're, you're going to be before God after you die in heaven with Him. And, and you have to hold on to the Word of God, though. You can't go by your feelings and, and thinking that, that, oh, I don't know, and, and trying to rationalize why you aren't. You have, to look at the Word of, you have to look at John chapter 6, verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. When you doubt your salvation, even though you've come to faith in Jesus, you can hold on to what Jesus told you in John chapter 6, verse 37. The Word of God anchors your faith. Not these feelings, not your circumstances, not, not your emotions. Or you take relationships, for example. You and your spouse have had a, a bad marriage or you guys are having a rough time and you don't feel like resolving differences or, or restoring that marriage or you and your spouse want to remain the ways that you are until the other one changes and one of you or both of you don't want to reconcile. Or relationships with your parents or, or, or your children that, are, that have been unhealthy for a while where, where there's no dying to self to try to make things right. But then there's Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. You know, it's time, maybe it's time to sit down and work things out. And it may be something that we don't want to do, but the Word of God is the anchor of our faith. And I don't want to simplify your, your problems that you may be going through. They may, may be more complex than simply just sitting down and doing this. I'm not... I don't have a way to evaluate. But we have to rely on the Word of God to anchor our faith. Whatever the Word of God instructs us, we receive by faith and we walk by faith. And there are so many other things that we can apply the Word of God to on how we are to proceed with our lives. So, so faith is not just some like, nice feeling that we have. It's, it's, it's a confidence in what God has said, which, which can lead us to being alone in faith. You take a look at verse 4 again. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. And the first part of verse 4 is describing the Babylonian, the perpetrator of violence, the perpetrator of injustice. But then there's this contrast in the latter part of the verse, but the righteous shall live by faith. But the righteous. It's this clear contrast there between the righteous who lives by faith and the one who's filled with arrogance and who is not upright within him. And then you take a look at verse 5. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as white as Sheol. Like death he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. The faithful are contrasted by those who are covetous. Those who want others' things and those who are self-reliant to take things for themselves. There are people that rely on their own strength. And it says in chapter 1, verse 11, whose might is their own God. The Babylonian is the one who is dependent on their own self-sufficiency, on their own power. They live independent of God. They live dependent on greed, on arrogance, on comforts, on possessions, on position, on control. And now you contrast that with the righteous. How does the righteous live? It's really simple. By faith. That's it. Weird. You have all this stuff here and it's just by faith. But you see the difference. The Babylonian lives by all these crutches. 
You know, people accuse us Christians as having a crutch of Christianity, but, but we see the many crutches of the Babylonians, right? The possessions, the position, the arrogance, the dominance, all the stuff that they want and they live by, those crutches. The righteous does not live on self-sufficiency, but by faith. Not reliance upon oneself, but the reliance upon God. So in saying that faith is a confidence in what God has said and, and that can lead to being alone in faith, it, it's that the righteous lives by faith alone. That's it. Faith alone. Not by these other crutches of, of a non-believer. Faith, faith can also be a scary and a very painful thing, can't it? It's what brings us completely vulnerable and, and, and completely needy before God. And that's what faith is. That's, that's just essentially what it is. It's coming before God completely empty, completely needy by faith. And by faith alone, without anything else. No other crutches. The righteous shall live by his faith. It's by faith alone. If you look at verses 4 and 5, there's only one clause that describes the righteous, while everything else in those verses describes the Babylonian. It's all about the proud, arrogant Babylonian, except the end of verse 4, but the righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous stands over the Babylonian. The righteous stands over the world. The righteous stands against the flow, against the culture. That doesn't mean that we don't engage the culture, that we don't affect the culture, that we don't transform the culture. We just don't rely on it as people of faith. We rely on faith. We don't go with the majority of the world. We are different. We are often in the minority. Those of us who stand in faith, we are often opposed when we stand in faith, aren't we? There's always this opposition when we are operating under faith. In 1857, there was some 3rd century graffiti discovered in what was the house of the Imperial Palace, which which later became a boarding school for the Imperial Page Boys uh, near the Palatine Hill in Rome. And it, and it it became to be known as Alexamenos Graffito. So any of you graffiti artists out there, you need to study this because this is the foundation of your graffiti arts is here. So it's thought to be that the earliest known pictorial representation of the crucifixion of Jesus. That. The earliest picture of the crucifixion of Jesus. And what this inscription that is carved into the plaster depicts is is a man on the cross with, with the head of a donkey, the head of an ass. And to the left of that image is this young man representing Alexamenos who's raising his left hand, worshiping this God on this cross with a head of an ass. And beneath that image, there's this caption that reads, Alexamenos worships his God. Alexamenos was, was a Christian who was being ridiculed, was being mocked for being a Christian. And this was an insulting way of depicting Jesus with this head of an ass on a cross. It was how the worst criminals were executed, so it would be something like depicting God in an electric chair. There wasn't anything glamorous about this cross back then. Now we all wear it and we have earrings, and, but back then that, that's not what that symbolized. And to depict Jesus as an ass was calling Jesus an ass. And, and anyone who worshipped him was an ass also. But then there's another inscription written by someone else, and scholars believe that this might be Alexamenos himself, and it reads, Alexamenos Fidelis, meaning, Alexamenos is faithful. You know, that's how faith is. Faith stands against opposition. Faith takes a stand against injustice, violence, against those who come against righteousness. Living a life of faith, we can find ourselves lonely, 
alone. And many of us know what it's like. Many of us find ourselves walking alone in our social circles where many of those we are around don't have a faith in Jesus. Or in our workplace, we may find ourselves alone living by faith in Jesus. Or around our extended families where we find ourselves alone in faith in Jesus. In our social circles, in our workplaces, in our families, we find that there are people in those settings that actually despise our faith. Not only do they just don't want anything indifferent, but they despise it. Don't talk about it around me. And we can find ourselves alone in our faith because faith faces opposition. We see that in our text today. So, so we've seen the anchor of faith. We've seen the loneliness of faith. And now I'd like to point out the perseverance of faith. But the righteous shall live by his faith. If you go back in the Hebrew, the verb there, but the right, the live, the verb live there has the sense of a durative action. And the righteous will go on living by faith. There's an enduring of faith, a perseverance of faith. And this is in contrast to the Babylonian or, or anyone who is against the righteous who live by faith, who, who, who are going to perish and come before the judgment of God eventually. And that's what verses 6 through 20 are about. That there will come a day when, when justice will be served to the unjust, to the violent. And I was really encouraged by an email a sister in our church sent to me a couple, uh, about a week and a half ago uh, about Abraham and Ishmael. And in Genesis chapter 17, 18, Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And there's that word live. What, what does that word live mean? It means enjoying the favor of God. Enjoying the loving kindness of God. Abraham was hoping that Ishmael would be dear to God and under God's love and under God's care. The verb live is, is a dynamic kind of word. So in, in going back to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, we are to live by faith. We aren't simply to exist by faith. We are to live by faith. Knowing that we are dear to God, we are favored by God, we're loved by God, we're cared by God, and, and we are to live now. Not wait till you die to live in eternity. You live now and into eternity. We are to live by faith in the present and persevere in the present. And for some of us, our present times are pretty troubling. Around our neighborhood, times are kind of troubling. We find ourselves in troubling times here as there's an escalation in crime, as there's an escalation in violence, an escalation in injustice. Just like those in Judah felt about the Babylonians coming, or, or actually before that, how they felt about themselves, because things were pretty bad then, and then God was going to use the Babylonians to, to kind of judge Judah. Will our faith withstand the injustice? withstand the violence that we face now, that we will face later. The righteous shall live by his face, faith. And, and you know what? What other choice do we have? Right? We have to. It's by faith. The people of Judah had to because if you look at verse 3 again, you notice that there is no immediate solution to their problems. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. It's coming. And when we're in trouble, help seems to just take an eternity to arrive, doesn't it? 
But even when things seem to take forever, when things seem slow, we are to wait and continue on living by faith. We know that these problems are coming eventually, but we also know that there's a hope in God and and the deliverance from God is coming as well. The help will arrive. The justice will arrive. Just as sure as the injustice is coming, justice is following. And in the meantime, we may suffer, yet we persevere in faith. Our faith will go through distress. Our faith will go through troubles. We will suffer difficult times. We will have difficult times. You look at Habakkuk chapter 2, what God is sharing with Habakkuk hasn't even happened yet. Right? But God was instructing, on, instructing him on how to live when those tough times do come. This is what you guys are do, to do here. The people in Judah are going to suffer under the Babylonians more than they did under themselves. It just hasn't come yet, but they are going to suffer injustice, violence, bondage, oppression. And this tells us something really, really important about our biblical faith today, doesn't it? Faith is not how you spell relief. Rolades is how you spell that. Faith is, is how we head into times of trouble. Faith is not relief. Faith is not escape. Faith is not optimism. Faith is not a bright outlook. You look at verse 4 again in, in the context of Habakkuk. But the righteous shall live by his faith. That The righteous will go on living through trouble, through distress, through violence, through crime, through injustice, through sorrow, through rejection, through depression, through addiction, through surgery, through marital problems, through unemployment, through losing your house, through cancer, through loneliness, all of it by faith. And that's the perseverance of faith. We just keep living by faith no matter what. There's just this doggedness to faith where we just cling to God and we go living by faith. And another thing I'd like to bring up about faith is that there's an opportunity in it. In the book of Habakkuk, we see a prophecy that that actually became history. And we see the fall of a nation. But in verses 4 and 5, it's it's really simplified to show us just two contrasting people. We don't have to worry about all the politics of Babylon Babylon and Judah and, and how they became Chaldeans to the Babylonians, all this stuff. Habakkuk just simplifies it to two people. And actually, this is something that Paul does also in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, where Paul reduces everything in the universe just to Adam and Jesus Christ. And the ultimate that matters, ultimate thing that matters is that you're you're hanging on to Jesus or you're not. And so a similar thing is happening here in Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, where he just simplifies it and he says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It's not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. And in verse 4, the word righteous, that's in its singular form. And in verse 5, you notice that an arrogant man Singular. Man is referenced. The word man there is interesting, though. In Hebrew, it's the word geber, meaning macho man. Like, hey, this guy has like hair on his chest. A manly man, like Dave Kim. <laughs> Except Dave isn't arrogant. Right? But he's macho. But we Asians don't have hair on our chest, but he doesn't have that part. But, but notice in verse 5, it tells us, an arrogant man who is never at rest. So there's a contrast between righteous and restless. 
And we've been throwing this word righteous out a lot, but what does it mean or what does it not mean? It doesn't mean self-righteous. It doesn't mean holier than thou. It means being right in the eyes of God. It means being right in the sight of God. And when we think of righteous, I think looking at the Psalms will be uh, really helpful toward our understanding. You take a look at Psalms chapter 32, verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Who's being described here as righteous? It's the one who's referenced in chapter 32, verses 1 through 5. It's, it's the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. It's the one whom the Lord counts no iniquity. The righteous is the one who trusts in the Lord, verse 10 of that psalm. And you also take a look at Psalms chapter 34, verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Who are the righteous here? They're the ones described in verse 22 as those who take refuge in God will never be condemned. That's who the righteous are. And if we jump into the New Testament, we know that it's because of the cross of Jesus. It's not anything to do with self-righteousness. We can do nothing to earn righteousness. It's all about Jesus. And now we have to answer this righteousness question for ourselves when we take a look uh, at Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 4-5, through five, where, where we have these two people being described here, a righteous person and one who is not. So who are we? And where are we at? We can go on living by faith, or we can go on living as the Chaldean, the Babylonian. And this is the opportunity of faith before us that's laid before us out right here in Habakkuk. We can choose to be people of faith or faithless. And as, as we look at these verses, we have the opportunity to decide which group do we belong. But the righteous shall live by faith. Who do we belong to? We belong to God. We belong to His people of faith. When we look at our neighborhood, when we look at our community, which can be disheartening at times, which, which can be depressing at times, do we see hope as people of faith? Or are we just looking at circumstances and situations and things that are happening around us to dictate our response to the injustice, to the violence, to the crime that is happening around here? Who do we belong to? We belong to God and and to the people He has put in our life to minister to in this community, in this neighborhood. We can choose to run or we can choose to be people of faith. The question is, what will you do? Let's pray. God, help us to see through all of the mess that's going on around us in our community, worldwide, globally. And God, help us to see how our faith in you anchors us, even though it's lonely at times, and help us to persevere in our faith and to cling on to you as you have made us righteous through our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the courage to make the right decisions, that you would give us discernment to make the right decisions. Help us not to live in fear, but to live by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.